Okay. We are starting on the recording anyway. And uh, I'll try this again on this. Two, one, uh, here we are. We are dealing with 1 Samuel 17 tonight. And the title is David and Goliath. The problem with the Old Testament story of our text here tonight, like Daniel in the lion's den and Jonah and the whale. <laughs> anyway, it's too familiar to us, and so sometimes, you know, it's like it's best to kind of try to um, kind of start again with this, and maybe sometimes we have preconceived ideas on it, or maybe there's that children's story that kind of sticks in there, which is probably right, but yet there's some elements in there we don't have the context to, so to really uh, place those preconceived ideas kind of on the shelf for a moment, and just go through this text as fresh, and that's really the way to look at it every time you go into any text, to go in fresh, uh, carry in what you've already gained out of it as knowledge, but yet there's a lot more stuff there probably for us than we uh, have ever seen before. Isn't that the way it usually is whenever you get into God's Word? So 1 Samuel 17 is really a... It's a long one. There are 58 verses. And we're going to try to cover it tonight. I know it's like two or three chapters, isn't it? One story, but a lot, lot there though. Really, let's uh, let's pray, Father. As we gather tonight, we uh, come to worship you, praise you, glorify you through the reading and study of your Word. To really see your character and how you work through individuals, through a nation, and we know that what you do is always right. It's always good. And sometimes the way we look at a story is through a human view, and yet your view, the way that you are looking at it and making things happen, we are amazed. And so again, we see an amazing story that you've given us as you set us up for a great king who is the model for the king of kings. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, okay, let's start with the setting. Yeah, Debbie. Oh, yeah, that's, oh boy, that, that, uh, yeah. you guys heard about that, I'm sure. It, the, oh, the prayer that they said, they ended with a man and a woman. That's going to be the, the new house. thing now. The gender. Oh. Emmanuel Cleaver, that was, he's a pastor. And yeah, amen doesn't have anything to do with gender, man, woman, anything. It has nothing to do with that. It does mean, though, truly, truly, so be it, right? Amen. And it's from the original, and then you take it from the Hebrew or your Latin and your English, and by the time you get to English, you have amen. Nothing dealing with men, so the stupidity continues to go. Okay. Stupidity of man, yeah, and so Somebody yeah. Somebody else did something else with it too. It wasn't, it wasn't amen, but someplace else where men 
and they had to put men and women side by side. And it's like, well, what about these people that don't know what they are? <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, as far as uh, Congress is concerned, uh, the, all the wordings now are uh, being changed. Uh, no such thing as husband, father, mother, uh, sister, brother, anything. Yeah, they were just talking about it. I don't know. Yeah, they did it yesterday. Oh, yeah. All with that prayer and that whole issue right there in Congress. So, boy, I'll tell you I folks. I what relative this is. Pelosi started, started out immediately and made a declaration. And no Again, it's from a single party that's no that's all doing this. How can you defend that? How can you say, I well, I identify with that? How can you? I wait, I wait to see this happen. Oh. Yeah. The most basic knowledge there is is that you're a, you are a a woman or a man. You know, either or. You know, God made that and to. To make that an issue is just unbelievable. How far can you go? And I'm I'm convinced that almost everything is always going to be on the other side. You know, it's going to be opposites. Have you guys seen that? Almost everything that you believe in, and they're going to be against it. So here we go. Debbie started it, so blame it on her. Okay, here we go. First three verses is the setting. Uh, won't read every verse, but what you have here are the Philistines, and they're gathering their armies for battle against uh, Israel. And you might remember that they had been defeated a little bit, uh, kind of a partial defeat and a humiliation, back in chapter 14, where the Israelites did win in that battle. Um, they are eager to win back their dominance that they had. They want to do that. Um, Saul never seems to take the initiative on the enemy, though. Have you ever noticed that? And here again, he's not. Um, They won the battle, but they didn't continue on. And I've got a feeling it's about pride, too. The Philistines got their pride hurt. So there they are. They're getting ready to square off. They're approximately 15 miles southwest of Jerusalem, opposite sides of the Elah Valley. There's a mountain here, a mountain there. They're on each side of that valley. And you would think they're getting ready to battle, and, and it goes for days and days and days that they, they don't attack each other. Now Saul and his army, knowing Saul, he really doesn't want to fight. And neither do the Philistines, though. Even though they're gathering, there's a problem that they have. The Iron Age, right? You're talking steel, you're talking bronze, implements of war. They have chariots. The The problem is here is that the kind of instruments that they have work well on level ground. <coughs> but not on the, the mountain slopes. <coughs> so anyway... Um, you have heavily protected soldiers, like, for instance, Goliath, and you know that ordinarily they could fight with agility in certain areas, but to actually run up and uh, kind of fight up on mountain slopes, uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, they can't keep their footing. And so, anyway, he's looking for someone willing to fight 
uh, that's Goliath. He wants to fight somebody, and nobody's willing. He wants the Israelites, somebody to come there and fight him, as the uh, two armies are not fighting against each other. They're waiting for somebody to start, and it's not happening. So we go to verses 4 through 16. You've got the villain and the victor. Um, Goliath is not mentioned in the first three verses as the armies mount up to fight each other, which they're not. There's a standoff that's happening. And so when Goliath is mentioned, it's not as the Philistines' king. We don't see listed there. We don't even see him listed as a general, per se. But he does have a solution for this stalemate that they have. He takes great pleasure in fighting. He would love to fight. Um, He's always ready for a good fight. And there's only one life that would be lost if it would be Goliath and somebody taking him on. Only one would lose their life. And then whoever lost their life, that means their army would be the losers. The one who won, their army wins the battle. They've got it. Israel would be subservient to the Philistines in this case with Goliath. Nobody wants to take Goliath only, uh, to take him on. So uh, the Israelites are fearful because of Goliath. There's nobody that wants to take Goliath on. Now, you do have Saul, who is the one, who is the king, and he's the one that the people wanted to do what? To fight for them. He was not going to take Goliath on. You don't notice him standing up and saying, okay, I'm going for it. It's saying, I believe in God, and I trust in Him, so He's going to get us through. So all this time, while the Israelites are fearing the enemy, the Philistines, Goliath becomes more bold. He becomes more arrogant. He's an individual that has the size to do what he does, and he just taunts Israel day after day. And it got to where twice a day that he would come out there and taunt them for one person to come and fight. So he wears a bronze helmet, a coat of armor that he has. As big as he is, he has all this stuff. This coat of armor is going to weigh like 125 pounds. Legs are protected by armor. He has a bronze javelin. He has a spear. The spearhead is weighing about 15 pounds. So he's equipped. And there's only one spot on his old body that is really seen. Because he's so covered with this armor. And he has an armor bearer with him who holds up the shield for him. So he's well protected. How are you going to fight this guy? He stands almost 10 foot tall. And if he played basketball today, he wouldn't even have to jump. He could go just like this. <laughs> that's, that's what he would do. So that's who they're facing. He's the villain. Towering physical stature. There you have David. 
who is one that we don't see his size mentioned, but I don't think he's anywhere near seven feet. I don't think he's probably more than six feet. Who knows? We don't know. We don't get anything about David's stature. We, Outside of a little bit later on, we find out that he's carrying a weapon. His weapon is a what? A sling. Uh, So he he's. But Saul was one tall. Saul was Saul was real tall. Of course, he, he wouldn't be matching Goliath, but he was the tallest of all of Israel. But we know one thing about David: he is the youngest of seven, uh, seven other sons of Jesse, right? You know, he, David, he's like in his teens, probably, something like that. We know being a shepherd boy, they would be very young, so he's probably somewhere there in his teens. I would tend to think Goliath is a seasoned soldier. He has a prominent role. Um, I think what he does and says is very predictable. Uh, he's very arrogant. David's arrival uh, is not really his own initiative. Um, a lot of times when you have the story of David and Goliath, really it's it's limited of what you hear, right? Well, how did David get there in the first place? Well, he does work for Saul, and really what he's been doing is playing the harp for him, and he's he's the armor bearer of Saul also. But David comes on the scene not as the result of his own initiative, what happens here is that his father summons David and tells him to take food to, he has other brothers there. And he's supposed to take the food to them uh, and make sure that they're taken care of there. You know, he the supplies that are needed. What is really happening though is God is orchestrating this whole plan to come about. I mean, it's it's an event that changes uh, maybe events that could have happened that would have been otherwise. God comes in, intervenes, and brings David on the scene. And you remember how he uh, became the armor bearer and the harp player for Saul. David didn't try out for that. You know, matter of fact, he had no clue what was going on. Nobody else did too, did either, but God did. And Samuel has played a part in that. Next thing you know, that he is the one that's going to be the next king after Saul. God is training him up properly, isn't he? So anyway, it's God's providence here. David goes to bring the food to them. They were not right on the front line, actually, but close enough. But when David gets there, they are moving to the front line. David has the food. He drops off the food with some of the other people that are staying back, and he goes all the way to the front line for the for his brothers. And he finds them, and, he, and as he talks with them, Goliath, Goliath is going to step forward to repeat his challenge. 
Now Saul has issued a request, a challenge for a volunteer to fight Goliath. And if he does that, he would get a substantial reward. Uh, First of all, it would be quite the wealth that they would inherit out of this. He would also get one of Saul's daughters so that they could marry. And he's also promising that an exemption would be given to the volunteer's father's family from taxes. So we're talking about money, we're talking about a wife from the king, and then taxes being eliminated forever. That's a pretty good deal. That's quite an offering. I don't know if that was all at once. It might have been one at a time. Saul doesn't get any um, takers on it. So he keeps advancing it up. Nobody's going to go with this, are they? Saul's not going to do it. So he challenges the soldiers and they're not going to do it. So David happens to be there and he hears about it. Now all this stuff here, we really haven't heard in the little children's Bible stories, have we? We haven't heard all that part that led up to it. When David hears what Saul has offered, it is so incredible, David can't believe his ears. And he's asking people to confirm what he had heard. He says, is this right? I mean, he's offering all this money. He's offering uh, you know, his daughter and then no taxes. What a deal. It's an incredible thing. So, you know, David goes around and he keeps asking people. He can't believe it. Uh, he's amazed at this offer. I don't think it's so much that he wants, you know, to get really rich and get the money and everything. I think he's just amazed because nobody has jumped at this offer. What a privilege. Now, think so? Well, it does happen. That's yeah. what happens, yeah. you know, with David. Mm-hmm. Getting ahead of the story, though. Well, just saying. <laughs> but we have heard the story, haven't we? So, he expects any true soldier would have jumped at this offer, this privilege that he has. After all, this man is cursing Israel. That's, that's what this, this giant is doing. He's cursing the people of God and thus God himself. David, remember, loves God. He's a man after God's own heart. And really, Goliath is really cursing God by all the taunting that he's doing. And David, being as naive as he is, (laughs) but, but we know that David actually trusts God just like Jonathan trusts God. He's willing to do anything because he knows God is a man. I mean, who God is a God, and David is a man who trusts God and knows that he can count on him. And anyway, David is certain that God will give victory. That's why he does what he does. He has no chance. What is a young man like him? How does he think he has a chance when none of the seasoned soldiers out there? are willing to do it. Why would he think different? 
<coughs> so they did. Why is no one accepting the offer to fight? Well, that's got us up through verse 25. This is how we get through a chapter real quick. <laughs> We're not really reading it. I'm sorry about that, but I hope you're reading it as I'm kind of mentioning it to you. David visited his brothers in battle. That's what we just covered, right? Point number three. And we'll, we'll kind of dive down into this for, uh, for a little bit here and read, read some because it is God's Word. We should be reading it. But if we did, we probably wouldn't have time to go through the whole story. 28 through 30. Let's pick it up to that. You've got the story now, right? David has accepted the challenge. We've got the background. It's not like he ju- he wanted to fight. He was in the army and everything. David wasn't in the army, was he? He was one who was told to go to his brothers to bring the food. And he went all the way to the front line and he hears the, what the soldiers are talking about and, and the latest offering by and challenge by King Saul. So here we have verse 28. And this is part number four already, folks. We're half the way through, almost. David's exchange with Eliab. Now, do we know who Eliab is? His oldest brother. He's on the front line. No, that's right. That's right. You've got a little bit of everything here going on with Eliab. It's like saying, "What are you doing here, kid?" Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger, look at this, burned against David. And he said, Why have you come down? Why are you here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. Wow, brother. For you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? Remember, he's been questioning. You know, is it is it really true that the king's doing this? And so then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. He he keeps asking. I can't believe this. And the people answered the same thing as before. What you have here, uh, you know, we got a great miracle getting ready to happen, right? But. Don't forget all the ab- obstacles that are happening here. They have to be dealt with before David confronts Goliath. The first is David's circumstances. He's young. And because he's young, and he has brothers and older brothers, and anybody here who has older brothers, sisters, that kind of thing, you might be the oldest, you might be the youngest, somewhere there in the middle, you know all about... Brother and sister, sibling rivalries, right? Everybody has them. Probably still have them to this day. <laughs> it doesn't quit, does it? <laughs> I know what it's like to be the youngest brother, because that's what I was. The youngest brother. And uh, I was treated as so. I think I still am. Yeah. Almost 70 years old. My second, second 
well, second in the trio of brothers is almost 75. I'm still a younger brother. Anyway, Eliab knows about God's selection of David, doesn't he? David was a young... Eliab was the first one looked at by Samuel. He thought this should have been him. And he got passed by. He's greatly angered. And he vents that anger out. He accuses David of coming to the battlefield for all the wrong reasons. What are you doing here? So, what you have here is that he's saying that uh, he came there for his own entertainment. To see the show. And uh, he also says that he's forsaking his responsibilities <coughs> as the shepherd. The shepherd boy. He, uh, wh- who's watching the sheep back there? The few sheep that you have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet he was right. Those, and he says it like that. You know, whom have you left with those few sheep in the wilderness? And then he's the worst of all. He calls him a wicked heart. That's really unfortunate, because he does not know how God is using David. David is a man after God's own heart. That's the kind of heart that David has. But his brother says he has a wicked heart. He doesn't know David. He doesn't know God in the way that he should, right? So David, you know, came to the battlefield to do what? To bring the food. Why? Because his dad told him. And what is that called? Obedient. Yeah, you guys got it. You got this down. Uh, he's trying to say that he had childish curiosity. I got a feeling David could have been disappointed and disgusted and distressed by all of this. Maybe. Maybe not. But he sure isn't stopped by it at all, is he? He doesn't say, uh, okay, I'll go back home. Not in the least. So there is David's exchange with Eliab. I think he treated his brother with respect. I thought David kind of had a vested interest in all this because of already knowing that the appointment, there was an appointment that was done on him. That's a good point. Um, and exactly what's happening here is that he is acting like the king. Saul is the king, and he's acting like a little shepherd boy. He's a chicken. Remember, he's always kind of been in the background, hiding in the luggage, acting like he didn't want to be known as the king and all that kind of stuff. And... You know, he had battles that he should have taken on and won. The thing is that he doesn't have the trust of God, trusting in God that somebody like his own son Jonathan has, or in this case, David. And in the next chapter, who are you going to see? Jonathan and David. <clears throat> so it's kind of interesting. You'll see two men of God get together 
and they will be a positive point for the nation of Israel. So we come to verse 31, and this is David and Israel's Goliath, Saul. (laughs) Israel's Goliath. Uh, In verse 31, we'll go ahead and read there. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. There we go again. <clears throat> Wonder what he thinks whenever he keeps hearing youth. That probably drives him even more. While he has been a warrior from his youth, he's, he's well seasoned. He's a veteran than Goliath is. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. And he backs it all up here. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up and against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Look at that. And David said, The Lord, Yahweh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments, put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor to look just like Goliath, David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand, stick in his hand, and chose... Let's stop. Let's stop at 39. David here is being summoned by Saul, because he heard about this, you know, and Saul is actually giving, I think, gracious and encouraging words to David. You know, it's mighty valiant that you would want to do that, but, you know, we can't have you going out there like that. You're young. Well, see, David is willing to do what neither Saul nor any other soldier in Israel was willing to do, to fight Goliath. And before you consider David's faith... Let's look at Saul's fears for a few moments here. When he's faced with a Philistine opposition, Saul is passive. He's not aggressive. Uh, But that was the significant part of him being a king, right? David, on the other hand, is a man of courage. And on this case, it's going to be one on the battlefield with courage. Where does he get this courage at to do this? 
several sources. First, David's courage came out of his theology. And he understood who God was. He knew Him. He knew that He was a God that would protect His people. And he knew that God wanted Israel to defeat the Philistines. They're not doing it. Jonathan took matters in his own hands, didn't he? And he he was a victor out of it. David, a man after God's own heart. And here's where what you were talking about there, Carolyn. David starts acting like a king. He's been anointed to be the king someday. If he's going to be a king, he's going to have to trust in God whenever it looks impossible. To David, it doesn't look impossible at all. He's looking at God. So, I think to inspire fellow Israelites to do likewise, you have the king set an example. And he will defeat the enemies of God, which are the Philistines. But he must trust God. He must obey. That's what we're seeing here. And he does not cower. And he's not disobedient. He doesn't have unbelief, as Saul does. And the rest of the soldiers. David is young. But when you go back and look at him as being a shepherd boy, he had quite the training from God right there. He got to meditate on the things of God. He took care of his sheep. And he brings up the fact about the uh, the bear and the lion. And he beat lions and bears. And they took it out of their mouth. Took it out of their mouth. Unbelievable. Um, now, Goliath has an arrogant mouth, doesn't he? The lions and bears have quite the mouth. They would like to take your head into their mouth. Um, well, it said that they came back after him after he took the lamb from the mouth. Remember that? Yeah. Right, he took a lamb from the flock and went on after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. So he didn't kill the animal first. He took it out, got the lamb, and then got attacked. And then he seized him by the beard and then killed him with his whatever he had. That's incredible. David is not lying here. This is what he did. He's powerful. He is fearless. So... Um, Few few creatures are more intimidating than what? A roaring lion. bear or a roaring lion. Can you think of two more intimidating animals than those two? Could Goliath be more powerful than a bear or a lion? I doubt it. David has killed both lions and bears. So I believe David's faith in God... It's going to become contagious here somehow. He makes an effect on Saul of bringing up truth. Here's facts. Here's what I have done. Why would I be scared of this man when I've taken on lions and bears? Killed him with my own hands. 
So, you know what? Saul somehow believes there's a good chance that David will prevail well, over David, Goliath. Well, David also sits there and calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. I mean, he put him in his place and reminded him whose army who we serve. Yeah, uncircumcised. What's that mean? He's not of our faith. And he's not. Who's his God? Dagon. Remember Dagon? Fish God. It's what Goliath would come from, from that view anyway. Um, not that he's a real religious man, but uh, pagans, idolaters, they all are. Yeah. Well, you know, and remember Saul not only likes David, he loved him. So, and he finally is talked into it and he gives him permission to go out there against Goliath. Now, uh, a word about the armor that he has here. What it does tell us here is that he had not never used that kind of equipment before. Uh, David. We don't, it doesn't say, I would tend to think that with Debbie that, that it is right what you were saying earlier, that David is probably not as tall as Saul. It's already been said that Saul is the tallest. Of course, David could be still growing. I don't know. I, I think he probably has a stature about him. It probably doesn't fit him in the exact way. It doesn't really say that it doesn't fit. It does say that he had not tested them. But I got a feeling it's probably not just feeling too good on him. You know, it's probably a little loose. You know, I would tend to think a, a young, young teenager usually is not going to be what a man who could be in his thirties or forties or whatever. Oh, that Saul is. He tried to walk and then said, "Yeah, I this yeah, this so doesn't seem like right." Study, just, yeah, it's yeah. like a teenager learning to run, walk in such a little Yeah. Or just a. A guy with football, the first time those guys go put those football, all that padding and everything like that, they're not very, uh, you know, even if they're kind of little lean guys, you know, there's no... Or it's like, okay, Debbie, Sunday morning you walk in here, and that piano is not sitting there. There's a different kind of a keyboard sitting there. <laughs> and uh, it has all sorts of gadgets on it. Really fancy, and I mean, it sounds like a whole orchestra and everything. <clears throat> And you say, Dennis, I've never played this before. How do you expect me to play this? I'll just go ahead and start playing it, Debbie. I mean, I mean, nobody would feel comfortable with that, would they? Yeah. You know, you, you would want at least a little bit of time to do that. Well, that's what's going on here with David. He's going. Uh, this is yeah, exactly. I don't use this. <laughs> So that's kind of the idea. The armor is a bad idea, but Saul. But I mean, hey, you can't blame him. I mean, you need this, right? But David says uh, it's not going to work. I can't go with these. Uh, I've not tested them. It's not not going to happen. So he just took them off. Saul saying, "Okay, whatever." Uh, I don't know what's going through Saul's mind here, really, but um, David has a convincing way. Um, anyway, Goliath is going to be going up against David, and Goliath has all the protection that he would ever need, all the armor. David has none. 
but he has the armor of God on, doesn't he? Okay, 40 through 54, here's the David and Goliath story. We finally have gotten there. Isn't it interesting to get all this background before it really happens? Sometimes we forget about that part, don't we? Here we go. Verse 40, He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. He approaches the Philistine. He comes after... By the way, he's running to battle. He's going up there, running. Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. <laughs> he has all the armor that he needs. And then he's got his armor bearer with a great big shield in front of him. What chance do you have to get him from any kind of a long distance? There's a big old shield like this that's up there. It's like the size of a person and then even much broader than that. That's, that's a, a great big shield. So a little bit, you see a little bit of Saul's head. He has a helmet on and you can see just a little bit of the forehead. Yeah, did I say Saul? I knew it again. Okay, that can confuse us, can it? So, uh, I almost put them in the same league sometimes, don't I? So, when, when you say, you say stick, mine says staff, which reminds me of a shepherd's staff. Which would be a stick. Which, yeah. Be, it would be made out of a wooden wooden stick, staff. Yeah. It wasn't anything fancy, iron, or anything like that. Right. But yeah, that's and that's why... Well, he says he took shepherd's, his, his shepherd's staff his is used stick. <coughs> And David's only weapon that first that you see here, of course we know that he has the sling, but he has a, has a stick to protect him. Um, people would carry sticks. Even today they'll do it, not only to help them walk, in areas where it's hard to walk, but what else do they do with sticks? Well, there are wild dogs or wild animals that can come along and try to attack you. And it wards them off, too. So you can use it as a weapon in that sense, but you remember that, uh, well, look at verse 43. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? <laughs> he, I mean, he's really taking offense. I can't believe that they're sending out this young boy and who has no armor and has nothing. And they're, the best thing that he has to offer is a stick. Are you coming out with, to me like I'm a dog? Yeah. Is that what the deal is? So David's armor, I guess you could really say the lack of his armor, seems to disarm Goliath here. He's arrogant. He's proud. He's blasphemous. He has an ego that doesn't stop. And this is a total shock to Goliath. This is what you have to offer. This is the best thing. 
So here we go, a young lad with no armor and a stick, and he's going to deal with this giant who has a god that's called Dagon. Um, has Goliath ever heard of the true god? You'd think he had. He doesn't, he doesn't take him serious, though. Uh, I think Goliath is really mad. <clears throat> that they would send out somebody like this. And he intends to kill him. He's not going to hold back on it. He would feed his carcass to the birds, right? Beast of the field. So here comes David. David makes it very clear that uh, this is not just a personal matter. David is fighting for the glory of God. Let's read a little bit of this here. Uh, 42, Philistine looked, saw David. He disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. You've made fun of our God. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hand. He believes this. And he knows it. Talking about trusting God, huh? And I'll strike you down and remove your head from you. He tells him that he's going to do this. I'm going to strike you and then I'm going to cut your head off. You're a dead man. And I'll give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You see... You have Goliath boasting about his great power and what he's going to do. And here's David giving all the glory to God and saying, here's what I'll do to you by the, in the name of God, the God of Israel. Isn't that bold? Who's the battle here? Who belongs? Who does it belong to? This battle is the Lord's. So he runs toward Goliath, taking out of the, I guess you could say the five stones as he runs along. He's placing on any sling and then slinging about as he heads towards the giant. 47, all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's and He'll give you into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. Look at this. That David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And look at this. He's doing all of this while he's running towards the the enemy here. David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground like a tree that's been cut down. So here he is, and the battle is the Lord's. He's running towards Goliath, getting all everything ready, and, and then he loads it up, 
the sling, and it's the perfect weapon because you have the big shield in front of Goliath, and Goliath is armor-plated from feet to the head, all the way up, with an opening only around the eyes. I like this. Because he's got a helmet, it comes down so far, and then, you know, all the way up through here. And so he hits him dead center in the only place that he could have brought him down. I think he's highly skilled. It's like a missile. And it's God's missile <laughs> because it hits him perfectly. Talking about D- David knew how to use a sling, and I don't know how far away this was, but it was a pretty good distance still yet. I'm sure he's getting closer and closer. He's running towards him. Same time, he's getting that sling going, and he's checking it out. He's got a perfect shot. Goes over the uh, armor bearer and directly into the forehead where it stuck. I'll tell you what, that is an amazing thing. David is running, pulling, and and here's Goliath pulling out his sword from his motionless body, and and then at the same time, David takes Goliath's sword here, after he's down, takes it and whacks off his head. Where was the armor there? I think... He got smashed. He just stepped over, jumped over top of him or something. Yeah, it's like, and the armor bearer, and it never said anything about the armor bearer, so I always forgot he was there. Yeah. Because obviously he wasn't very good at his job. But anyway. And so David hacks off his head. Where's, where's the armor bearer? Yeah, well, can I borrow that shield? <laughs> what, the next thing you have to ask is what happens to the soldiers and everything around on the Philistine side? I think they're kind of shocked. They are in awe. They, they talk about shock and awe what this young man just did. And they can't believe it. And it's like they're stunned for a moment and then they got to hightail it out of there. But hold it. They remember before. Wasn't there some supernatural stuff that happened to them way back before? Yeah. There always is something supernatural happening. Now, you know, David is really good, but I think God gave it a little bit more power maybe to do what it did. But he didn't kill him, but he knocked him down and he went down just like a tree that had been felled. And then David gets his sword, takes it out in there, and takes his head off. And I wonder which direction he fell. If he get hit in the forehead, do you fall forward or do you fall backwards? Most time, I guess if it pops, because if the armor bearer was in front of him and he fell forward, he probably fell on the armor bearer. Well, he fell on his face to the ground. So, you know, it's like he falls forward, right? So he probably fell on the armor bearer. Maybe that's why the armor bearer got out of the way. He hurt timber. The shadow was coming. So got out of his way. Yeah, it's interesting. David in verse fifty prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. Remember hacking Agag to pieces? Samuel did that. Because that king, Agag, should have been killed and Samuel let him live. Well, you're supposed to take the Philistines out. David knew that. 
The Word of God was had been around for years and years. Those people knew what God said to do with the enemies. Get them out. Get rid of them. Because if you don't, here's what happens. Well, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. He's dead. They fled. I'm sure they were stunned for a moment and then it, they pondered what just happened. We're done. And guess what? The enemy is now bird food. <laughs> the body is going to lay there and Philistines have to be paralyzed for a moment. I got a feeling the same thing is true for the Israelite soldiers. They're just standing there with their mouths open. You know what just happened? Can you imagine the shock that they had? And then they realize the Philistines are taking off, so what do the Israelite soldiers do? Boom, they go after them. And they take off on the run. Um, And you know what? There's no better place from which to fight such an enemy like that as from behind. (laughs) Because they have no armor on their backs. (laughs) And so, he's got them on the run now. 52, the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. The race is on. And the slain Philistines... A lot of the Israelites are killing them on the way. Philistines are trying to run as hard as they can. They're probably shedding their helmets, shedding whatever it is, and they just want to get out of there. Uh, The Israelites aren't catching up to a lot of them, killing them. There's just bodies just laying everywhere, just strewn all over the place now. Sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Remember, they were all around up on that mountainside and... And they come in there and they just make havoc of it. Then David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his weapons in his tent. Well, the plundering is interesting because I think they had been out of supplies. That's why uh, Israel had been out of supplies. That's why David and them were doing what they were doing. And the other, the Philistines, must have been well supplied. I think they had 24 days. Yeah. Right, they're probably picking up weapons and stuff now and everything now, you know, whatever they can get. So they have quite a victory out of this, and they should have, because they won. And David did it. He's going to get the rewards out of it, but he is showing the what a king should be. Now, to close off, we're right at the end here. It is seven o'clock. Fifty five through fifty eight. This is a problematic passage. Now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, remember Abner? He, he was picking up all sorts of different uh, leaders to lead his army and everything, good ones. So it's now Saul and Abner, and they're talking. Abner, whose son is, Abner, whose son is the young man? And Abner said, By your life, O king, I do not know. Well, the king said, Will you inquire whose son the youth is? So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. (laughs) Beautiful. There is the king that is to come. That, you know, 
down the down the road, he'll be king. Saul's king now, and there he is holding the head of the lion. You know, I always thought that um, David probably was going, ah! and Adam running, running after him. <laughs> 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 Put his head. <laughs> Well, Saul said to him then, Whose son are you, young man? It's like, does he know who David is? Does he know his father? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Is Saul forgetful or kind of crazy here? I don't think so. And there's really no problem here. It, it sounds, though, like he's never met David before. Well, wait a minute. Does he know who David is? Yes, he does. He uh, Saul's question is not, who is this young man? What is his question? Who is this young man's father? Why would we suppose that because Saul knows David, he also knows his father? Has he ever met him? Well, it sounds to me like he hasn't. Well, you'd think he would have. Well, no. Jesse gave the permission, but I don't think he ever met the king. Um... And this doesn't require that Saul know David's father's name, right? Jesse and uh, uh, Saul probably never did meet. There's people here, or even younger people, I would say, that they have fathers and mothers, uh, but I don't really know their names. To be honest with you, I don't really know anything much about them other than what I've been told. Do you know anybody here, their parents' names? Exactly. And you probably don't even know my mom and dad's name. Some of you. Some might. But, uh, so, there's no, a lot of people present this as problematic. There's no problem at all. Saul knows David, and as he comes up, because he had just talked with David, you know, before this thing even happened. And now he wants to know who he's giving his daughters to, what line are we coming from? He wants to know more about the family now, the heritage, because we have a king's daughter marrying, you know, uh, a shepherd boy, and so at least he wants to know. No problem with that question. Uh, chapter seventeen: David had just spoken with Saul and is going out to do battle with Goliath. Saul is commander in chief. They watch from a distant vantage point. That's Saul and Abner, right? They're watching from way back. Watching this. And it's interesting, two men here, and this young man doing his thing. Abner is the commander of the army, of all things. And they're at a safe distance. David goes out to risk his life, and they're way back there. And it's like Saul saying to to Abner, could you pass the popcorn? You know, they're taking in a show here. And they're, you know, talking. You know, David returns from killing Goliath. And so then Abner brings David to Saul with Goliath's head in his hands. This is most bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, wouldn't you thought Abner, since, okay, let's just go from what was going a they're out doing it. What is Saul and Abner, the commander, doing at this time? That's exactly what about the battle? Why aren't Saul and Abner in the thick of this battle? And because and, it's going to be a rout anyway. 
How do they find time to talk about such things as the name of David's father at a time like this? That's right. So, uh, ponder what Saul and Abner are doing here, right? What are they not doing? That's right. They took it in like a show, and and then when the battle really gets going, then there they are, just kind of um, easing back in their chairs, going. Oh, 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 well, I'll tell you what. That is the story of David and Goliath. A long chapter. Some of those things we remember. Some other things were going. I don't remember that. Isn't that interesting that God gives us a complete story, but a lot of times we forget details. But do you see God in this whole thing? How He set this up? Did He intervene? Did providence play a big part in getting David? How did David ever get to the palace? Well, God made that happen. How did David ever get to the front line? He shouldn't have been there. How does he ever get to... Be the one who does this. What in the world? What's that kid doing out there? And we see the rest of the story, don't we? You know, everybody's always concentrated. Like, David picked up five stones. Who must have known he had five brothers? You know, that's where the story always ends. Right. Okay. Anyway, glad you could uh, join in on this. I think it's rather exciting to hear the complete story of it as we went through there. But I didn't read every verse. But you can kind of see why we did. We kind of tried to set it up there with it. But we did read the the finish of it. Let's uh, pray. Father, great God, You are a holy God. You are awesome indeed. We look to You to intervene when things look impossible. Lord, we still pray for our nation and all of the things that are going on. And even today, we know there has been a vote and then tomorrow is another big day. Uh, We know that you are a God of miracles and you actually could turn things around and we go, where did that come from? Well, we would know. It would be you and you alone that would do it. But even if you don't do it, Lord, we know that your plan is perfect and then we see it in the light of the way that you desire it to happen. Uh, Lord, you have covered people's eyes. You blinded them. Uh, there's been a strong delusion. And they're not godly. They hate you, Lord. But your people trust in you. And we know that you could act. So we ask if that would happen, and that it could happen, that a true miracle could happen as far as two senators in Georgia that would hold back some kind of a strong force that would totally overtake this country. In the meantime, we pray for your will to be done. Thank you so much for letting us see again another story where you really are behind the scenes and you are controlling it all and you always have victory. And that's what we trust in. Tonight, we trust in you like David trusted when all the odds seem impossible. We know your plan is coming true. In Jesus' name, amen.